When commuters fall onto the tracks in front of Japan's commuter trains, they are often horribly maimed. It's said that these victims return as ghosts, missing their lower half, and their dangling spine makes a take-a-take-a sound as they crawl toward you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more urban legends, check out our Haunted Places feed on Spotify. There you'll find new Spotify-only episodes of Urban Legends every Tuesday. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions of body horror and discussions of suicidal ideation, sexual violence, and ableism. This content was written by a mental health professional and a person who has experienced suicidal ideation themselves. Please use your best judgment to decide if this is an appropriate episode for you to listen to. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. Whether it's a therapist, a loved one, or your country's suicide hotline, there's nothing supernatural or inevitable about your pain. You're late for the last train. The night is cold, the wind gusts down the tracks. You hope that doesn't mean the train is nearing the platform. You're still not close enough to catch it. You manage to race onto the empty platform at the last second. Finally stopping to catch your breath, you wrap your coat tightly around you, listening to the whistle of the wind. But then, another sound enters your ears. It's the sound of a strange scratching, even dragging on the wet concrete. You turn to find a woman lying on the ground, her long black hair in her face, desperately reaching toward you, pulling herself forward with her hands. You rush to help her, concerned that she has fallen down. But when you get close enough to lift her, she's lighter than you expect. The girl has no legs. And as she lifts her blade, you soon realize you won't have any either. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Today's episode is part of our Urban Legends series. Every Tuesday, we explore those chilling stories you hear secondhand, the kind that seem made up, but contain a kernel of truth. Urban Legends is only on Spotify, so keep listening here to never miss an episode. But don't forget to come back each Thursday for a classic episode of Haunted Places, covering yet another ghost-filled locale. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Today, we examine a Japanese urban legend that can be found in train stations, city streets, and even school bathrooms. While the story of Teka Teka leans heavily on disturbing gore and evocative onomatopoeia for its horror, its themes suggest a broader cultural anxiety surrounding the pain and suffering the dismembered girl experienced and creates. 
Tekateka's origin is simple enough. A young woman is sliced in half by one of Japan's famously efficient and always punctual trains. She is so named for the sound her exposed spine and elbows make as they grind along the ground as she advances on you, threatening to use a scythe or other blade to make you just like her. The story features a vengeful yurei, or restless ghost, a type of spirit in Japanese folklore. But it also contains elements of a yokai, or an uncanny and nearly unstoppable supernatural creature. This particular monster has a distinctly modern edge, thanks to its association with the contemporary technology of commuter trains. The unfortunate ghost's death by train also evokes an epidemic of suicide in Japanese society, presenting the fear of self-harm as a literal specter. Its approach telegraphed, but unrelenting. It was rare for Rinko to find time for herself, and rarer still to find a moment for romance. But her hands were tied this time. Her boyfriend Hikaru had insisted on a date if she passed one of her exams. She had, as he expected, so they'd gone out to catch this latest anime smash hit. He told her he was in the mood for horror after a story he'd read, but she reminded him that she was a scaredy cat. He smiled and bought them tickets to the latest romance. Hikaru walked alongside her as they left the theater, then headed into the crowded night. Rinko was anxious to get home, but she spared one smile for Hikaru, telling him that it was good of him to suggest this. A little fun every now and then couldn't hurt, especially now that exams were over for the next week. As they walked towards the train station, the crowd started to thin out. Magic hour was fading, the darkness swallowing the humans around them and leaving them with more space than Rinko was used to. Hikaru took a half step away from Rinko, but she asked him to come closer. He smiled at her shyly, taking her hand. They had been friends for a year, but this change in their relationship was still relatively new. The platform was deserted. A soft drizzle splashed against the railings. Rinko leaned over to watch the drops of water dance along the metal. Lights flashed around her and she stepped back. She felt the whir of the air around her as the train started to approach. Hikaru let go of her hand. The doors opened, but the cabin was empty. She could hear Hikaru talking on the phone somewhere behind her. She stayed rooted where she was, watching the doors close. She let her eyes run down the length of the train, settling on a teenage girl with long black hair staring out from one of the windows. She nodded her head in acknowledgement. The girl remained in her spot, eyes unblinking. Hikaru put his hand gently on Rinko's shoulder. She turned toward him as he apologized for taking a call while they waited for the train. When Rinko turned back to face the train, it had already begun to move away. She scanned each window, but the girl was gone. Rinko craned her neck, trying to find a better angle inside the cabin. Hikaru tugged her backward by several steps, warning her that it was dangerous to get too close to the edge. She nodded her head, finally abandoning the search. But Rinko couldn't stop thinking about the girl's eyes. Unblinking, dead, but somehow also desperate. Hikaru's phone rang again. He apologized, but Rinko simply shook her head, 
she told him to go answer it. It could be important. He stepped away, and she turned her attention back to the rain on the railway tracks. A soft scream was nearly swallowed by the rain. Rinko looked around the platform, but she didn't see anyone. Hikaru had disappeared. She called out to him, walking the length of the platform. Cheery blue light shone down from lamps poised just above the entrance to the trains. Large mounted televisions broadcast soothing images of the Great Barrier Reef. They were all renovations in hope of alleviating commuter stress. But she was stressed. Hikaru was gone. She called his name. It echoed around the empty platform before being swallowed by the wind. Rinko took out her phone and sent him a quick text. She heard the chime of his phone go off, but she couldn't place it. She texted him again, again. The sound carried down the platform, trying to catch the chimes through the rain and the distant hum of the high-speed train on the rails farther down. She kept moving, taking the steps two at a time until she'd reached the level of the tracks. She caught a glimpse of a bright light on the concrete. Her shoes slipped in the rain as she raced toward it. Rinko's own portrait stared up at her from Hikaru's cracked phone screen. Small slivers of glass glinted under an overhead light. But Hikaru was nowhere to be found. Rinko put Hikaru's password into the phone, hoping he would forgive her for this violation of his privacy. She hit the small phone button, but there were no recent calls logged. Who had he been talking to on the platform? Rinko shivered as a gust of wind blew through the platform. She called out for Hikaru again. The horn of a train screamed as it started to enter the station. A gaggle of people stepped out into the rain. Rinko's eyes roved through the crowd as it dispersed. But then, her gaze fell on something strange. The same girl was on this train, too. Same bright, hungry eyes, peeking out between strands of long, black hair. If it was someone else, the resemblance was uncanny. It didn't make any sense. This train had come by a completely different route. Rinko stepped forward for a closer look, but the girl turned away from her. For a moment, Rinko could swear she could see the back of the seat through the girl's stomach, but before she could process, she found her eyes sliding farther down the tracks, following the strange girl's gaze. There was something lying on the tracks. It was hard to tell what the exact shape was, but it almost looked like a pair of disembodied legs, pale white. A mixture of blood and dirt slid across the bottom of the area. The phone in Rinko's hand started to ring. She hit the answer button and slowly brought it up to her face, her eyes still fixed on the strange shape on the tracks. An anguished scream came through from the other side, containing both unbelievable pain and impenetrable sadness. Rinko looked back at the train cabin, but the girl was gone again. Whatever had been lingering on the rail tracks was gone too. Another scream came through the phone. Rinko hung up. She didn't want to hear anymore. She just wanted to know where Hikaru was. The cabin doors closed again, and the train hurtled off into the night. Rinko did not bother to watch it leave this time. 
A slash of crimson followed in its wake. Rinko leaned away from the platform, stretching her neck to look down the railway. Someone was bleeding on the tracks, crumpled, their wounds unclear at this distance. They were laying almost flat on the ground. She took out her own phone and tried to call for emergency services. Her phone was dead. Hikaru's shattered touchscreen wouldn't work. Rinko's hands were shaking. She tucked both phones into her pockets and took a deep breath. Then she jumped down onto the tracks. Metal bit into the arches of her feet. She hugged the wall as she moved farther down, making her way along the metal rails. Rinko called out to the injured person that she would be there soon. Blood-tinged rainwater sloshed onto her shoes. The rain made it harder to make out shapes, but the poor person was still there. As she got closer, she was relieved to see the man's chest seemed to be rising and falling ever so slightly. She kept going. A far-off train cried out in the distance. Rinko picked up her pace. As she neared the body, his features started to come into focus. Hikaru. Her tears blended with the rain as she threw herself down beside him. She leaned down to his face, cupping his cheek in her hands. Rinko placed a small kiss against his skin. Hikaru told her he loved her. Rinko nodded her head, shushing him, rocking him as she watched the light fade from his eyes. It was only after that that she felt the wet warmth against her legs. She finally looked down to see her skirt and stockings covered in dark blood. Viscera. Hikaru had been sliced in half. Coming up, Rinko discovers the difference between an accident and an attack. Now, back to the story. Rinko clutched half of Hikaru's body to her chest. He felt too heavy in her arms, his smile frozen into place. One piece of intestine trailed down his abdomen to almost touch the second half of his body. She could see a clear line from where he'd been cut, blood still leaking from both ends. She struggled to piece together what had happened. It had been a normal day, a normal date. He'd taken a phone call, but there had been no record of it on his phone. She'd seen a strange girl staring at her from the train. Two different trains, actually. No, that made no sense. She told herself to focus on Hikaru. His wound was strangely clean, his legs still intact. A train hadn't done this to him, but Rinko couldn't say what had. It almost looked like a blade but she would have noticed someone else down here. She examined the bottom half of his body, but it didn't hold any clues. It looked like he'd been crawling when it happened, motion stopped by impact. She looked ahead of her and then behind. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't possibly carry the body from the railway back to the platform. The idea of having to collect multiple pieces was enough to send stomach acid up her throat. But she didn't want to leave him on the tracks to be obliterated by the 5 a.m. train. No one else was around. She was the only option. 
Rinko carried the top half of Hikaru's body to the wall, out of the range of the train. She placed a kiss on his forehead as she sat him back down. She held her breath as she collected his bottom half, bits of organs dotting the ground around them. Rinko slid his legs beneath his abdomen, as if somehow he would magically breathe again, sinew braiding with sinew until he was good as new. She wiped her hands on her shirt, looking around for some sort of ladder she could climb up to get back. She saw something several hundred feet away. Rinko spared one last look at Hikaru before she started walking. The silence of the night was broken up by the chime of Hikaru's cell. Her heart leapt as she managed to slide the answer button and bring the phone up to her ear. She called for help, but it was only met with static, a bad connection. Maybe a train whistle, if she really strained her ears. Another sound, strange, wet, and percussive. She hung up. Rinko kept walking. The trains ran on an exact schedule. She didn't have much time to make it back to safety. Something pulled on her ankle. Her foot faltered on the concrete as she resisted. Her head met the pavement. She tried to climb to her feet, but someone was still trying to hold on to her. Rinko turned around to find the girl from the train cabin, or part of her. Her body stopped at the abdomen, just like Hikaru. The girl's long hair stretched to her stomach. Her elbows had been skinned raw from crawling. One gray hand was wrapped around Rinko's ankle. Rinko couldn't find the breath to scream. She pulled hard and got her leg back, but the force sent her sprawling backward onto the ground. She edged away as far as she could, keeping her eyes on the unblinking girl. The girl crawled forward on her elbows, dragging her torso behind her with a wet slap against the rainy pavement. Unlike Hikaru, this girl did not appear to be running out of energy. She moved quickly, her hands like talons as they reached out for Rinko again. Rinko scrambled, finally pulling herself upright. She took off running, aiming for the ladder almost 70 feet away from her. Dark hair brushed against Rinko's legs. Somehow, the strange girl was keeping up. Rinko pushed herself to run faster, her lungs burning with effort. The girl leaped towards Rinko's torso. Rinko dodged and spun, running back towards Hikaru's body. Now she knew. This was what he had faced while she had been watching the rainfall. Something not of this world. Impossible. Maybe unstoppable. A yokai. Rinko ran towards the railway, hoping the uneven surface would make it harder for the girl to reach her. Her legs started to shake. A train sounded in the distance. Rinko's mind raced. The train could crush the girl, but it could also crush Rinko if she wasn't fast enough. But she had no hope otherwise. The ground started to shake. Rinko looked between herself and the girl. The girl's head tilted, almost asking what Rinko planned. She stepped onto the tracks, baiting her attacker. The strange girl just watched Rinko, puzzled. Rinko took the pause as an opportunity to flee to the other side, but the creature sprang forward, landing right in front of her. 
Wrinkle backed up quickly, and the girl paused. Her severed torso held a few inches above the ground, oscillating a little. Rinko was where the girl wanted her to be, on the tracks with a train coming. The train started to slow, brakes squealing, but the momentum was too great. Death by train or by girl, either was an end, but only one was over quickly. Rinko took a deep breath, trying to keep the image of Hikaru's smile in her mind, but all she saw was his viscera on the wet metal rails. A horn blared. Rinko realized she'd never heard one of the typically ultra-quiet trains make that kind of disturbance. She held her head steady, as if looking the train in the eye, ignoring the strange girl and her scraping bones. She could almost see the panicked looks of the people within the engine's cabin, but she didn't move as it struck her down and cut her in two. The last thing she saw before she died was the girl inside the cabin, smiling at her. There are two forms of supernatural beings in Japanese folklore, yurei and yokai. Yurei are the impressions that traumatized souls leave behind after death. They tend to be tied to locations or people. Some are benevolent, working to protect their descendants or homes, while others are more dangerous, haunting their killers or others they feel have wronged them. Teka Teka may have been a Yurei at some point, but she is definitely a Yokai now. Yokai is a broad term that applies to nearly all manner of ghouls, goblins, and other monsters in Japanese folklore. While some, like the Kappa, are animal-like, coming from long folk traditions, unstoppable supernatural creatures like Teka Teka also fall under this designation due to their extraordinary abilities to pursue prey. They extend their search for revenge or catharsis long beyond the sight and people that initially traumatized them. In Teka Teka's case, her point of trauma is one of the most ubiquitous sites in all of Japan, the Japanese Railway. The Japanese high-speed rail is so fast that its swiftest test run of over 373 miles per hour has been slowed in order to obey local noise pollution laws. Trains are a way of life in Japan, and the country's flagship train, the Shinkansen, has carried over 10 billion passengers in its over 50-year history. But it is trains' integral role in Japanese life that has made their potential dangers even more clear in the country's cultural imagination. Up until this point, there's never been an accident or even an injury on Japan's high-speed rail due to mechanical failure. But that doesn't mean there haven't been deaths. In 2005, a 23-year-old train operator named Yujiro Takami took his commuter engine around a curve just outside of Osaka suburb at 72 miles per hour. The speed limit was 43. The train jumped the tracks and slammed into the first floor of an apartment complex, resulting in 562 injuries and 107 deaths. Derailments serve as a potent reminder that the efficiency of the Japanese railway isn't unassailable. Human error always enters the equation. But Japan's mental health crisis also turns the country's greatest icon of technological innovation into a means of self-harm. 
On April 11, 2019, an unidentified woman in her 20s was struck and killed by a commuter train in Tokyo's Chiyoda Ward around 6.40 a.m. She had climbed onto the tracks, apparently to take her own life. This type of fatal collision would be tragically unremarkable and rarely reported in the media. But due to the specific location of the death, 140,000 people were delayed on their way to work. Service was restored within an hour. Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, and CityLab reported that the nation averaged one suicide by train per day in 2018. Riders of the East Japan Railway Company, or JR East, all know what it means when a delay for a Jinshin Jiko, or human incident, is announced over the loudspeaker. Many railway companies have added new elements to their stations and crossings in hopes of dissuading those who would harm themselves, including ambient blue light, mirrors, and even television screens with footage of the ocean or kittens. While Japan's acknowledgement and efforts to combat its mental health crisis have been paying clear dividends, Teka Teka remains a grim manifestation of the specter of mental illness and suicidal ideation in modern Japanese culture. While Teka Teka is most often associated with trains and other forms of travel, she has also been integrated into a rather unique cultural phenomenon, Japanese bathroom ghosts. One can find many different forms of goblins lurking in bathrooms, according to Japanese cultural traditions, but vengeful ghosts are also known to lurk there. This is because wells, and by extension, toilets, can be used by spirits to cross from their world to this one. If you're a fan of the J-horror Ringu franchise, or its American adaptation, The Ring, this will sound familiar thanks to Sadako or Samara in the American version's iconic rise from a well on videotape, her dark hair covering her face as she crawls toward you. The urban legend of the bathroom ghost Kashima Reiko is a more concrete version of the legend of Teka Teka. The legend goes that an office worker in Muroran, Hokkaido, was beaten and raped by American soldiers who were occupying the country after World War II. Considering herself dishonored beyond repair, she jumped from a bridge, landing on railroad tracks where she was cut in half by an oncoming train. Realizing she wanted to live, she crawled toward the train platform for help, but the attendant only covered her with a plastic tarp. She died in agony. In another Ringu-like twist, it is said you will see the ghost of her top half Three days after hearing her story, she will ask you a riddle in your dreams or via a phone call from an unknown number. Only if you give her a perfect response will she consider letting you live. She will ask you if you need your legs. You must tell her you need them right now. Then she will ask you who told you her story. This is the most important and most complex answer of all. You must say, Kashima Reiko. Ka as in mask, she as in death, ma as in demon, rei as in ghost, and ko as in accident. If you escape her that time, you may still run into her in a public bathroom, where she'll ask you where her legs are. On the Meishin Expressway, you must reply. 
Teka Teka is in many ways a distinctly Japanese urban legend, but she's also jumped the Pacific. The United States has its own vengeful spirit, who goes by the name Click Clack. Much like Teka Teka, she is a woman who was cut in half by a train. In this case, she's a young mother whose car got stuck at a railroad crossing. The bodies of her two children were found at the scene, but only her legs were recovered. The woman's top half stalks children at night, ripping them in half with her long nails if she catches them. The legends of Teka Teka and Click Clack trade heavily on body horror. We fear not just death, but the idea that our bodies will be mutilated or transformed before we shuffle off the mortal coil. In this way, these stories integrate fears surrounding both physical disability and mental illness, linking the two, to suggest that one can cause the other. Perhaps the most telling element of this is the yokai's ability to move faster than expected. What would be an impediment in the corporeal plane becomes a source of power for a monster who wants to make you just like her. There's no outrunning Teka Teka. She takes her time because she knows she can catch you. So make sure you remember her call and response and desperately hope she feels like talking. Others haven't been so lucky. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Until next time... Don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. With writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson.